0: Welcome to the beginning of the fourth season of Tuesdays with Merton. My name is Teresa Sandock. I'm a Servite Sister and a member of the Tuesdays with Merton committee, along with Daniel Haran and Sophronia Scott, and with the assistance of Alan Colton. Tuesdays with Merton is co-sponsored by the International Thomas Merton Society and the Center for the Study of Spirituality at St. Mary's College. The webinars are aired on the second Tuesday of each month. Please note that we are recording this webinar. It will be available on YouTube and as a podcast soon after the live event. You may post questions in the chat at any time during today's presentation. Please direct your questions to Alan Culp. You may have noticed that Sophronia Scott is new to our committee. She is a member of the ITMS board and author of the award-winning book, The Seeker and the Monk, Everyday Conversations with Thomas Merton. I would like to invite her now to offer the opening prayer. Sophronia.
1: Thank you, Teresa. The prayer for this evening, I have called from new seeds of contemplation. For those curious, I'm reading from pages 44 to 45. Justify my soul, O God but also from your fountains fill my will with fire. Untie my hands and deliver my heart from sloth. Set me free from the laziness that goes about disguised as activity when activity is not required of me and from the cowardice that does what is not demanded in order to escape sacrifice. But give me the strength that waits upon you in silence and peace. Give me humility in which alone is rest and deliver me from pride, which is the heaviest of burdens and possess my whole heart and soul with the simplicity of love. Occupy my whole life with the one thought and the one desire of love that I may love not for the sake of merit not for the sake of perfection, not for the sake of virtue, not for the sake of sanctity, but for you alone. For there is only one thing that can satisfy love and reward, and that is you alone. Amen.
0: Thank you, Sophronia. And now it is my pleasure to introduce Mark Mead. Mark is now in his 20th year as assistant director of the Thomas Merton Center at Bellarmine College in Louisville, Kentucky, where the bulk of Merton's archives are housed. He has served as president of the International Thomas Merton Society and has presented and published on Merton in the United States and abroad on topics such as Merton's correspondence with Victoria Ocampo, Merton and the Existentialist Themes, and Merton and Albert Camus on opposition to the death penalty. Here now is Mark Mead speaking on the seven story mountain at 75, classic or de classe. Mark?
2: Thank you, Teresa. Thank you, Sophronia, for getting us started um, with um, such a, a beautiful quote from New Seeds of Contemplation. Um, Thank you uh, both, and Alan and Dan for the invitation to to speak tonight, and um, thank you, Julia, for filling in for Dan on tech, and thanks to everyone who's joining us. To begin, I'll see if I can get uh, Charles Dickens uh, spinning in his grave with the hokey paraphrase of A Tale of Two Cities with a substitute reference to the seven-story mountain, which kind of sums up um, where I was in the preparation of this. It was the best of books, it was the worst of books. It was a book of wisdom, it was a book of foolishness. In short, the book and Merton's struggles were so far like our own present struggles that some of the noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the in the superlative degree of comparison only. So put yourself in my position. Over 20 years at the Thomas Merton Center at Bellarmine University, thousands of visitors, Countless Tours, the perpetual question, where do I begin with Thomas Merton? What book should I read first? Is there an analogous situation with another writer? Either the best-selling book or the most famous book will be exactly the book required for that person, or maybe the only book that that person really needs to read, or may send the reader in completely the opposite direction running away. Um, I'm curious in the discussion afterward uh, if anyone uh, wants to bring or bring into the chat um, other situations where the bestseller itself is is, is a liability to, to that author. I, I, I really struggled to think of other similar situations. In fact, just last week, uh, a post on the ITMS Facebook page, um, the International Thomas Merton Society's Facebook page, uh, was a revealing insight into how many self-affiliating Merton fans would answer the question of where to begin with Merton. Um, someone asked for someone who's never read Merton, where should they? what should they read first? And though the responses uh, in this format um, are an unscientific representation, admittedly a group that uh, are composed of people who have read and continue to enjoy Merton, I think the results are revealing the issue of whether to begin with Seven Story Mountain was debated and some had strong opinions. And only a day after the post was launched, it elicited um, around hundred responses and a couple thousand views. The Seven Story Mountain was the clear front runner as the book or among the books one should begin with, um, according to those who who responded, garnering 40 recommendations. New Seeds of Contemplation, I'm glad Sopronia brought a little quote from that uh, to us. That was the second most requested uh, book that that someone should start with um, with fifteen to nineteen um, responses depending on how how you count it because um, some people enter um, seeds or seeds of contemplation and sometimes that can be a shorthand for new seeds sometimes people really do mean the earlier editions um, some people um, just use this use it as a shorthand there were sixteen other books floated as well and books about Merton by um, over eight different uh, biographers of Merton. Um, in contrast to the 40 recommendations for Seven Story Mountain, I counted four people who very actively discouraged beginning with it. And in my years of hearing people rant and rave about Merton, um, this this seems to be um, maybe even a, a higher percentage of, of in favor of Seven Story Mountain than against. Um, but again, it's, it's on a, a page of people who didn't run screaming the other direction when they encountered Seven Story Mountain. Um, who we are not turned off uh, by by Merton? Um, these are people who who um, who may have read this and stayed with it, or um, liked him despite the book. Um, and there are many reasons um, why um, uh, people reference uh, not not wanting to recommend the, the Seven Story Mountain, or at least to begin with the Seven Story Mountain. Um, it's too long. It, you know, did didn't resonate with them. It didn't connect. I didn't like the Merton presented in Seven Story Mountain. For those with a negative impression of Merton and um, many negative impressions were formed by Seven Story Mountain, um, they're not gonna sign up for, for this kind of Facebook page. But varied opinions of Seven Story Mountain are not just evident among the casual readers. And I was glad to see um, a couple of names here that I'm going to reference um, on our role of participants. Um, take for instance, two eminent Merton scholars speaking at the last general meeting of the International Thomas Merton Society and their contrasting accounts of an encounter with Seven Story Mountain. Christine Boshin used Seven Story Mountain throughout her career of teaching college courses on Merton as a modern example of spiritual autobiography. Her gifts as a professor and writer imbue nuance into the study of the text. She didn't view it as an example of a singular shift of religious affiliation, but emblematic of a lifelong process of ongoing conversion. For Merton, This was supported by his monastic vow of conversation, a conversion of life, conversatio morum. She feels she meets Merton again and again through the fresh insights of each generation of students. In contrast, Bonnie Thurston first discovered Merton by reading The Seven Story Mountain, but quote, didn't like it. She found him in his autobiography as a young man to be quote, pompous, priggish, and prejudiced. Thankfully for subsequent generations of Merton scholars who have relied upon her important work, she discovered the later Merton and would go on to write about Merton's interfaith dialogue, relations with communities of women, religious prayer, and too many other subjects to mention here. In her speech as president of the third meeting of the ITMS, she makes a distinction between Merton, the personality and the importance of his ideas. She puts it this way, quote, I'm not very interested in the phenomenon that was Thomas Merton, Father Lewis, the individual. In the long run, I think that the man and his biography will prove to be less important than the legacy of his ideas. Another way to say this is to say that Thomas Merton is less important than that to which he points, like the proverbial finger pointing at the moon. The moon is more important than the finger. I think to survive for any prolonged length of time as an archivist of the Thomas Merton Center, and, and maybe um, Paul would, um, would would have a different opinion on this, but um, I think I've had to be interested in both Merton the person and Merton the writer. Maybe those who find inspiration in the pages of the Sedentary Mountain have to do so as well. I hope at least my appreciation of Merton the person is a warts and all um, type of perspective, and there are days that, that the warts make up the primary Part of his visage. Um, like many, I find some hope and solace that someone capable of riding with such beauty on the spiritual life um, also had such struggles, made mistakes, and as Christine Boshan described, was on a lifelong journey of ongoing conversion. But at this point, I should place my cards on the table. I am mostly sticking to the topic as outlined by the title of the talk. Is the Seven Story Mountain a classic? Um, However, the description of the talk um, implies that I'll spend most of my time sorting through a historical discussion of the changes that have occurred between the 1940s and now to change our appraisal of the book. I will address this briefly. My goal is not to force an examination of the text through a particular ideological lens, but instead to treat it as literature itself. Um, I was inspired in my first total rereading of Seven Story Mountain in over 20 years um, you know, I've, I've, I've used it on, you know, probably a weekly basis for bits and pieces or use bits of it for research on other projects. But, you know, I, I did a, a full read through and um, was struck again by what Merton admired about Mark Van Doren, who, along with um, Dan Walsh, were among his favorite professors at Columbia University. But one reason he admired Van Doren was that he he treated literature, quote, not as history, not as sociology, not as economics. Not as a series of case histories and psychoanalysis, but mirabile dictu, as literature. Listening to recorded lectures of Merton teaching the novices at Gethsemane, it's clear that Merton's teaching style was a Socratic type method, possibly based on what he liked about Van Doren's style, which, as he described, quote, adduced excellent things you did not know you knew, uh, d- you did not know you knew. unquote making his classes true education from the root of the word. So in any case, our fundamental question of whether the Seven Story Mountain is a classic is somewhat at odds with a discussion of history in that a true classic is timeless. Um, Even um, when it recalls the spirit of a pastime with seeming accuracy, there is at least broad appeal over generations, even if no classic can reach any sense of universal appeal. And as we have shown in the informal Facebook poll, Sometimes that appeal is contentious and definitely not universal in the case of Seven Story Mountain. I argue that the autobiography of Merton's youth is classic, but not for everyone. Um, it's, it is, uh, it's not a classic because it captured the prevailing um, spirit of the time, like Tom Wolfe's The Bonfire of the Vanities did for the 80s. Seven Story Mountain is a rejection of the predominant cultural dynamic of Merton's young adulthood and acceptance of a new vision of the world through faith. A decade and a half later, he wrote, quote, my conversion to Christ is something I have always regarded as a radical liberation from the delusions and obsessions of modern man and his society. The only true liberty is in the service of that which is beyond all limits, beyond all definitions, beyond all human appreciation, that which is all, capitalizes all, and which therefore is no limited or individual thing. The all is no thing, or if it were to be a single thing separated from all other things, it would not be all. In Christian terms, this is to live in Christ and by the Spirit of Christ. The mark of a classic and its endurance is not coextensive with whether it captures the zeitgeist of its time or subsequent eras. Yet it seemingly should respond to its time, even if it, uh, uh, and if it endures, respond to our time. Merton was sensitive in the 1940s to the violence of the noise of urban life and through media like radio noise that could follow a modern American into any remote corner of the country. Though as stated, I will not and cannot dwell on the full scope of all the societal, historical, cultural, and technological changes that separate 2023 from 1948. I think uh, just about, I mean, you might think just about our modern media landscape and the technology in the form of a smartphone that can deliver nonstop barrage of noise via sound image and messages um, anywhere. You could argue that as time progresses, the seven story mountain becomes less relevant because the world has changed so much. However, Merton's rejection of the violence of noise, his poetic praise of silence and retreat into solitude and prayer seem needed more than ever and could be argued to be more relevant now than when he wrote his autobiography. As Merton articulated later in life, as he did in the preface to the Japanese edition to the seven-story mountain, um, the quote I, I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, um, Merton would see his monastic life as a form of protest. The preface to the Japanese edition was written 15 years after the publication of the seven-story mountain in 1963. You can find um, the preface in honorable reader reflections on my work. And in Robert Dagge's introduction, he states it was Merton's first reflection on the book that is Seven Story Mountain and the passing of time from the writing of the book. You'll find other brief thoughts on his autobiography scattered through letters and journals, uh, but this is significant and its sole focus um, on on his autobiography and the insights that, that, that he brings, he lifts up. So for those looking for an alternative to the trends in our culture, trends pushing us to polarization, addiction to technology, noise, and distraction, Merton's path in The Seven-Story Mountain charts an alternative course. However, Merton's spiritual path at the beginning was limited and his method of engagement with the world would change. The Merton of The Seven-Story Mountain left the capital W World and made space for himself to criticize it for the sake of self-preservation. He states in the preface of the Japanese edition, when I wrote this book, the fact uppermost in my mind was that I had seceded from the world of my time in all clarity and with total freedom, the break and the secession were to me matters of the greatest importance. Hence, the somewhat negative tone of so many parts of sorry this the, the somewhat negative tone of so many parts of this book. As you will recall, even in Merton's um, first paragraph of the Seven Story Mountain, he refers to the world on the brink of the First World War, war as a picture of hell. Later, while at Columbia and taking a course titled Contemporary Civilization, he uses a class trip to the Bellevue morgue to sum up his, his early view of society at his time. He writes, quote, I had seen rows and rows of ice boxes containing the blue swollen corpses of drowned men, along with all the other human refuge of the big evil city. The dead that had been picked up in the streets ruined by raw alcohol, the dead that had been found starved and frozen lying where they had tried to sleep in a pile of old newspapers the pauper dead from randall's island the dope fiend dead the murdered dead the run over the suicides the dead negroes and chinese the dead of venereal disease the dead from unknown causes the killed by gangsters they would all be shipped for burial up the east river in a barge to one of those islands where they also burned garbage Despite the seriousness, uh, I I do have to um, um, chuckle when sometimes a bookseller tries to lump Merton in with more warm and fuzzy um, modern spirituality. Um, Despite a fundamental change in uh, Merton's um, reaction to the world, um, the late Merton is is still the Merton of seeds of destruction and raids on the unspeakable. Maybe it's no surprise that Fulton Sheen compared Merton, uh, compared the seven story mountain to a 20th 20th century form of the confessions of St. Augustine. Merton's pessimism about humanity's tendency to fall into evil has an Augustinian spirit to it. So it's not only in the writing of a spiritual spiritual autobiography um, in which there's a connection to the confessions. Merton's Augustinian view of the world is colored by his own history of youthful misbehavior, as he he accounts for us in Seven Story Mountain. It's also related to knowing very well Europe before the Second World War. Witnessing Hitler's rise to power and studying what we learned after the Holocaust and the nuclear bombings of Hiroshima uh, and Nagasaki. I recommend to everyone who has not heard uh, Pat O'Connell's Tuesdays uh, with Merton uh, on on Merton and St. Augustine to look it up. um, It was recorded in April of this year. Um, And also don't be uh, dissuaded by my focus on the the darker side of sin and fallenness in Augustine. Um, Pat lifts up some of the more positive outlooks that Merton had on it as well, um, as well as some of Merton's criticisms of Augustine. Um, It's interesting to note the many other Catholic spiritual traditions that had effects on Merton beyond his Cistercian tradition rooted in in, in a benediction tradition. But there's also um, a a notable omission that I'll get to in in a second. Dan Horan has written a book on Merton's Franciscan heart. Merton was influenced by Carmelite spirituality and another great Tuesdays with Merton is Mary Frolich on Merton and St. John of the Cross from last March. Though Merton was in contact with many Jesuits, Ignatian spirituality did not have a significant influence on Merton. And with the inspiration that St. Augustine had on uh, Calvinists, uh, it's interesting to think that the Jesuits were often pitted against them in their uh, relative outlooks on human nature during the Counter-Reformation. Um, with Calvinists taking the more skeptical Augustinian attitude. I will recall this affinity with Merton and Protestants, um, Protestant thought in a minute. Taking the optimistic view of human nature um, of Jesuits into the 20th century, we're confronted with Teilhard de Chardin. I find it interesting that there seems to be plenty of crossover interest in Merton and Teilhard, um, when Merton himself had many reservations about him and his, his writings. Um, This is also an interesting topic um, right now because of the recent effort by another Jesuit, Pope Francis, um, to rehabilitate him after the 1962 Monotone warning um, about the orthodoxy of some of his writings. Um, Teilhard's view of human development, progressing and evolving toward a Christ-aligned future alongside science seemed to Merton too naive about our ability to take the fruits of our reason and pervert them toward exploitation and injustice. Though Teilhard's view was theologically rooted, Merton saw in it the seeds of the same blindness he attributed to those who eschewed God for faith and scientific progress, Um, a a, a positivist outlook, unconcerned that humans need moral reasoning rooted in spiritual traditions. A tool is just a tool and technology can be used um, um, for good and for evil. But um, Merton realized um, just putting the faith in the tool itself without um, Uh, a a wise hand guiding it. Merton had done his own study of Teilhard, but it was another Jesuit, Daniel Berrigan, who brought Teilhard into a discussion between Catholic and Protestant peacemakers uh, at the Spiritual Roots of Protest retreat at Gethsemane in 1964. In Gordon Oryer's book about the retreat, he transcribes a recording of Merton relating events of the retreat to the novices afterwards. Relating to Merton, Relating to, I'm sorry, relating to Berrigan, Merton um, says to the novices, quote, and of course, Dan was talking about Teilhard de Chardin sort of ideas, and they finally got pulled apart. I mean, uh, Teilhard does not cut enough ice with these people. They are Protestants, see. Teilhard does not cut ice with Protestants because all this business about there's going to be a wonderful new civilization. And it's all going to be ducky and it's going to be the new Jerusalem and all that sort of stuff. Protestants don't buy that at all, Merton claimed, drawing laughter from his charges. What they buy is the Lord died in the cross and we've got to hang on to the cross and fight our way through the thing. And I think, Merton added, chuckling himself, it's a somewhat more realistic view of things. So this sideline about Tehard may seem a diversion from a discussion of the seven story mountain. However, I think it's important to distinguish the way um, Merton's viewpoint on the world, on society at large, which pervades the whole um, autobiography does not necessarily change much uh, in his later years. It's more about how he reacts to this fallen world. Um, Does he uh, embrace a Rod dryer type of Benedict option, withdraw and and disengage? Maybe the Merton of the Seven-Story Mountain um, had more of that, that kind of outlook. A more mature Merton dwelt apart from the noise of the world while keeping vital lifelines of friendship with people outside the monastery. He knew enough of the news of the world, but knew when to take time for prayer and silence. And out of that silence, prayer, and contemplation, he could model a better way of engagement with the world, responding in love and invitation to embrace a different way. Referring again to the time since the publication of the autobiography, he writes uh, in, in the Japanese preface, quote, "'Since that time, I have learned, I believe, to look back into that world with greater compassion, seeing those in it not as alien to myself, not a peculiar and deluded strangers, but as identified with myself. Here we see Merton echoing some of the same language that he used um, describing his epiphany at Fourth and Walnut in Louisville, which occurred a decade after Seven Story Mountain's publication and just five years before this Japanese preface. Perhaps silence and simplicity are even more foreign to the culture of today than the 1940s, but new generations are realizing the need to find alternatives to the all-consuming noise and distraction of contemporary media digital culture and social media. This is why Merton still appeals to many people and has appealed across, across a broad spectrum um, uh, of folks of different backgrounds and experiences. When I talk about Merton's critique of noise and mention monitor technology, I do so myself as a guilty bystander. Um, here I am speaking to you through Zoom, Um, I have referenced uh, social media before in this talk, and I will do so again. I am the first among sinners, but my hope is that um, my studies of Merton have made me a little bit more of a critical consumer of digital media. and I hope he has that effect on new generations coming to him. What makes Merton's story of his youthful seeking in the seven-story mountain compelling to some and not to others on a more personal level? Sometimes it's the tone he takes in his writing. Um, If you will indulge another recent anecdote uh, from the ITMS Facebook page, I think it speaks to the seed of genius within the pages of the seven-story mountain, right alongside an immaturity that is sometimes difficult to overcome. Two different readers were struck by different parts of the same paragraph. The first, writing from Latin America, highlights Merton's praise of his native Spanish. Describing the period when Merton visited Cuba in Easter of 1940, on a Sunday, leaving one mass and going to yet another, Merton writes, quote, I would listen to the harmonious sermons of the Spanish priests, the very grammar of which was full of dignity and mysticism and courtesy. After Latin, it seems to me that there is no language so fitted for prayer and for talk about God as Spanish, for it is a language at once strong and supple. It has its sharpness. It has the quality of steel in it which gives it the accuracy that true mysticism needs. And yet it is soft too and gentle and pliant, which devotion needs. And it is courteous and suppliant and courtly. And it lends itself surprisingly little to sentimentality. Well, this is all very beautiful. Uh, and we're just about to get to a very moving part of Merton's trip um, at the shrine of Our Lady of Cobrain and Merton's poetic reflection on it yet um, the paragraph's not over, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> um, it's not surprising that it was a woman on the Facebook comments who remembered um, that Merton had ended um, that that paragraph about the Spanish language um, um, with, with some words um, in, in reference to women. Merton continues, quote, it, that is Spanish, has some of the intellectuality of French, but not the coldness that intellectuality gets in French. And it never overflows into the feminine melodies of Italian. Spanish is never a weak language, never sloppy, even on the lips of a woman. Let me repeat that last line. Spanish is never a weak language, never sloppy, even on the lips of a woman. Who? <laughs> I do not want to get too wrapped uh, in, in, in identity. I can hold that the commenter from Latin America saw um, also, um, misogyny present in the text, but just wanted to lift up the praise of his of his mother tongue. The woman who knew full well of the young Merton's ugly and immature statement about women is also a member of uh, of the ITMS page and and uh, continues to enjoy his writings. She knew that Merton continued a lifelong process of conversion. Yet we all come to the story from a different perspective um, with relative pluses and minuses um, that such comments have to one or another reader. However, the existence of some sections that, to steal from Bonnie's uh, uh, speech, were just plain priggish, um, still make it difficult to recommend Seven Story Mountain without a healthy dose of supplemental material in primary or secondary source. So the reader understands that Merton's journey continues to a, a deeper maturity. I find certain contemporary appeals to identity politics quite reductive, the line of argument that what can an old, dead, white, straight man have to say to someone who doesn't check all those boxes? Uh, believe me, ladies and gentlemen, dead is the only box I have left to check on this list. But despite the Southern Story Mountains detractors, fans of the book um, certainly also... uh <laughs> Nice comment by uh, by Bonnie in the in the comments. Um, um, despite some story mountains detractors, fans of the book certainly run the gamut, from the aforementioned Fulton Sheen and more recently Robert Barron to Matthew Fox. From the high society of Claire Booth Luce to Eldridge Cleaver, writing from the Black Power writing the Black Power classic Soul on Ice while uh, imprisoned. The story has a relationship which goes beyond Catholic and even Christian circles those from diverse demographics identifying with the story to speak to something universal in the way that Merton presents his life story. So what are some of the points of connection that, that, that people find? And not everybody's going to relate to these, but these are just some, some of the things that came to mind my in my rereading. I think primarily the struggle of a young person to make sense of um, The world as an adult is a key experience relatable to many readers and and uh, much of the story is about how faith fits into that dynamic of in the narrative those who've experienced conversion can especially relate as a cradle catholic and going through some years of difficulty in accepting my tradition as a young adult as presented at least the uh, the faith that was presented to me as a child or that i could understand as a child It was more of a process of reversion for me, but that was a a definite point of of connection that I found um, in Merton's story. The shedding of an immature faith and coming to understand a faith um, in in immaturity. However, what Merton's going through is is bigger than just a faith journey. There's an intellectual coming of age and trying to make sense of the world. Um, As we discussed with Merton, he certainly saw the world in its brokenness. What do we accept from our upbringing and what do we reject? First, we have the acceptance of the way things are uh, as they are presented to us as children. However, Merton was often the outsider. It was easy for him to see beyond the veil of falsity and the veneer of mere respectability. Seeing life from various cultural perspectives, um, an American sensibility, French, British perspective, helped him realize what was merely social convention. It can lead to the artist or the intellectual's rejection of the bourgeois in culture, or even um, conventional religious faith at the time. This is often expressed in an adolescent or young adult um, rebellion. And as we see in Merton getting gated twice at, at Cambridge, um, kind of a, a grounding for uh, college age adults and, and then being sent down, expelled, um, th- there was that adolescent rebellion coming out. Just as some of us do not move beyond uh, a childlike acceptance uh, of cultural convention, not all move beyond the adolescent rebellion either. In Merton's brief flirtation with communism at Columbia University, we see him come to a more realization, uh, a more adult uh, realization, moving beyond just uh, adolescent uh, revolt. In Merton's brief flirtation, uh, I'm sorry, we can see this uh, more adult critical perspective in his reflection that sees through the externally opposed systems of communism and capitalism and finds them both lacking in their appeal to materialism. He writes, quote, the chief weakness of communism is that it is itself only another breed of the same materialism, which is the source and root of all the evils, which it so clearly sees. And it is evidently nothing but another product of the breakdown of the capitalist system. Indeed, it seems to be pieced together out of the ruins of the same ideology ideology that once went into the vast, amorphous intellectual structure underlying capitalism in the 19th century. So here we see the seed is already planted in what Merton will later write in his letter to Pablo Antonio Quadra concerning giants. He contrasts uh, in his later essay, US capitalism and Soviet communism as giants at war, each trying to protect its own destructive material, project its own um, destructive materialism upon Latin America. Merton's later um, personalism elevated this analysis with an encouragement for the people of Latin America to chart their own course by their own rich cultural lights, avoiding the dehumanizing temptation wielded by each giant. Another point of connection readers may find appealing about the first um, conversions recounted in Merton's autobiography and his life of ongoing conversion was the multivalent methods he discovered faith. He recalled the ruins of Cistercian monasteries in his youth in southern France, and while in Rome, it was Byzantine sacred art and architecture, rather than the art of pagan Rome, that truly attracted him before he could articulate even uh, a religious faith. I mentioned the need to escape the noise and distraction of the modern world. His intellectual conversion was helped by the discovery of Etienne Gilson's writings on medieval and scholastic philosophy. The poetry of William Blake and Gerard Manley Hopkins revealed to him a mystical mode of religious expression that suited his own writing style much more than scholasticism. Merton describes the contrast between the noise and nonstop business of Manhattan and the serenity people gathered for silent prayer at Corpus Christi Parish, where he was later baptized. It is likely more uh, more relatable that a whole network of conversion events take place in a person's life rather than a single hand of God moment, and Merton captures um, the many strands uh, of of, of, of this process that led to his conversion, the Seven Story Mountain, and articulates it so well. Apart from um, ideas and experiences is the notion of personal connections and meaningful friendships. It's not just community for its own sake. The fraternity did not add much to Merton's college experience. at Columbia University, um, not, not, not any experience that really endured. Um, quality friendships like Lax, Rice, Free, Good, Gibney and others allowed Merton to share and filter his experiences mentioned um, through, the, through the, the thinking and questioning they were doing uh, uh, of, the, uh, of the art, the poetry that, that they were encountering, the writing that they were trying to do. Not like the friends he had had at Cambridge, they were friends who encouraged his writing and intellectual interests as well as his explorations into faith, sometimes pushing back. As what was later published as a letter uh, to a young activist, Merton wrote that is, quote, the reality of personal relationships that saves everything. Certainly, friends like Lax set Merton on the path he would later follow. When Lax questions Merton what he wants to be, Merton responds, a good Catholic. But Lax retorted, what you should say is that you want to be a saint. The last of the appealing aspects in Seven Story Mountain that, that I think a lot of people um, who connect, those who do connect with Seven Story Mountain and connect with, um, applies as well to Merton's other autobiographical writings, um, such as his journals. It's a sense that many readers have of being able to identify himself um, them, themselves with his story. And this is not a, re- a universal reaction, especially to the Seven Story Mountain, which accounts for the love-hate relationship with it. Yet for those who connect with the story, um, in his preface um, to the Japanese edition, Merton references this phenomena of uh, uh, of the story taking on a life of itself. I think he does for, for two reasons. First, the story is now a creation outside of himself, separated by 15 years. There's a connection he cannot deny, but in a sense in which it's locked in time and belongs to an earlier self who does not exist anymore. Secondly, Merton grants you the freedom to make the story your own, not because of his particular genius, but because just as the Holy Spirit moved in his young life, to bring him to the monastery, the spirit can use this story to animate millions of other stories in lives of, of readers. It's brought countless vocations to priesthood, religious life, and with, especially in, in Merton's later books, um, encouraged lay people that they could be contemplatives as well. Um, for me, is The Seven Story Mountain a classic? Yes, um, because it endures and still resonates with, with so many readers, including myself. Is it the book I would recommend to you to begin with? I don't know, uh, who are you? <laughs> in, in counseling uh, nov- his novices to be attentive to the individual needs of each person, um, Merton uh, once uh, told his novices, and this is uh, captured in, in, in a recording, quote, you don't feed sauerkraut to people from the Andes. I will end with Merton's encourage uh, encouragement to us um, to take what is fruitful in his story and to make it part of our own searching, a searching that continues even as the story, as he states in the autobiography, uh, you know, con- continues as, as the story ends, as uh, he states in the autobiography's final words. Merton ends the Japanese preface to the Substory Mountain with these words that I will leave you with tonight. Therefore, most honorable reader, it's not as an author that I would speak to you, not as a storyteller, not as a philosopher, not as a friend only, I seek to speak to you in some way as your own self. Who can tell what this may mean? I myself do not know. But if you listen, things will be said that are perhaps not written in this book. And this will be due not to me, but to one who lives and speaks in both. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much, Mark, for sharing those thoughts with us, um, what you say about Seven Story Mountain in some ways resonates with my own experience. I love hate relationship and I taught a upper level Merton seminar for quite a few years at my university and always hesitated whether I would include it and ask students to do it first or not. So um, you, you make me relive, relive those days. You said a number of things I'd like just to pursue can you tell me a bit and tell us a bit about how uh, the bestseller can also be a liability? I'm interested in uh, your take on what what is the liability, whether in your your eyes or or Merton.
2: Well, you know, from from the point of view of um, you know someone at at uh, an archival archival collection that uh, specializes in Thomas Merton, I have an interest in in, in promoting. The author and his works. I mean, also uh, we like to promote a, a you know a, a critical response to Merton as well. But um, you don't want somebody's first encounter to to, to turn them off, um, to leave a bad taste in their mouth, and and that they won't give him a chance or return to him. So um, it, it really does d- depend on the person. Some some people started with Seven Storey Mountain and, and 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 loved it. Some some people don't like much else. Merton has written um you know it's it's it, it, it's so specific and that I feel is is it's you know maybe it's you not not unique to, to Merton but I don't think of too many other situations where the best-selling book is not the the, the first one you want to uh to recommend to, to somebody um and, and yet seven-story mountain is is I think very important and, and tells a story that, um, I think if you, if you want to get deep enough into, to Merton's studies, you need to contend with, um, whether you, um, accept, um, the tone that he has in, in parts of the book, or, I mean, there are certainly parts that are objectionable and you need to object to. Um, sure. so, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's tricky in, in, in that sense. And, um, I think... I, I pretty early on had a a, a, a James Martin um, esque um, kind of introduction to Merton in the in the sense that I, I I think Seven Story Mountain was the was was my first contact, but um, I had watched the Wilkes film, um, and James Martin had um, watched the the Wilkes film first, and then discovered the re- the, the rest of Merton. But um, I I I I knew the Seven Story Mountain, and and then then I didn't know too much else about him and and then i had some interest in merton but i wasn't as um interested in him this is you know before coming to the merton center that sort of thing but then it was through the wilkes film that i found that there was so many other sides um to merton and um, that got me wanting to to know to know more so that was also what i um wanted to convey with yeah i might recommend the seven story mountain but in addition to other resources that that help to give some some background about where he's going from this place, you know, I think that early seeking is is really vital, and and you don't quite get it anywhere um, else except um, Seven Story Mountain and and the journals, um, but it's very important. Yeah, that's true.
3: Um, second question: I don't think I've ever thought about this until you were talking tonight. I wondered, do you have any sense? Um, what the percentage would be between the Catholic readers and the non-Catholic readers, particularly in that first phase when it became the bestseller, and then I'm going to ask obviously a follow-up question. Do you have any sense for today?
2: Um, That's it's so hard to say. And you know, when I was rereading it, I I, I did kind of wonder. Well, did did Merton himself think when he's writing this, <laughs> some of the, the 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 statements that he makes? Well for example um, of course all um protestant pastors hate catholics i mean he, i think he says that about the the, the pastor at, at at zion church church episcopal church where his, his parents went um he makes these really um um sweeping statements like that um that can be objectionable but i wonder if if, if his if his thought was well this is going to be picked up by Catholic book clubs and uh, I'm talking to an inside audience. I mean, I would hope, you know, the ma- more mature Merton would would, would, would know better or, or, or know, wouldn't have the instinct to, to say that in the first place, but um, maybe the younger Merton wasn't concerned that it was going to get to the ears of, of, of too many um, non-Catholics. Um, but as, as far as who actually did get it, um, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that that that's that's uh, that's that's a great question, and, and that that would be interesting to research. Yeah. Do you have any sense of
3: the current readers that would pick it up? Are they um, people within the Catholic tradition, maybe practicing or otherwise, as opposed to um, you know the maybe the I'm spiritual but not religious type.
2: Well, you know, I, I, in who,
3: who's who's likely to find it attractive in our own world today?
2: Yeah, um, I you know I, I think there is, you know, the the, the appeal is pretty broad, and, and there are I don't know if there's as as many, um, you know, folks who aren't Catholic reading it as, as Catholics, but um, it's, it's 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 pretty evenly split. And what I can say from within the the, the Catholic world is is that. Um, what you'll see on the more conservative side of the spectrum is either because of Merton's later writing, they don't want to recommend Merton at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have some who say, well, you know, read The Seven Story Mountain. That's that's a good book to read. Uh, maybe a few other early books, but you know, you better stop there <laughs> because Merton really went off the rails. And, <laughs> um, and then you have, um, you know, people uh, more, more progressive you know, type Catholics who really do take serious umbrage at at some of the things that, that he says in Seven Story Mountain. So they say, well read anything but Seven Story Mountain. <laughs> so, there is this kind of uh, split there, um, and 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 but, but there but there are those I think that that kind of see the the, the nuance and yep. and, uh, and and recognize it for what it is yep. as an early work. We got a
3: comment from Kathy Bell. She's um, expressed her gratitude as we all will and then she says i wonder whether one could even begin to understand such a complex individual if not given an opening into his life like we have there and um do you have any comment on that
2: yeah i mean that's that, that that's why for me uh, i do i do place it as a, as an important book but but just just tricky that that you have to uh you have to provide some 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 extra supplement <laughs> yeah. to, to to what's going on um, there. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's it, you know it's it's a real window. And um, the other the other piece of it is that um, of the manuscripts that survived the Boston College and Columbia manuscripts. Um, you know we think there were we well we know of uh, of, of earlier um, parts of it that were were cut out. And um, you know that would just be the the real treasure trove to to find in probably a publisher's archive if it exists, and if it exists, if it's in a publisher's archive, um, uh, an earlier draft um, with 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 some of the things that that were cut out um, uh, for monastic censors, um, maybe some things that he didn't. Um, should be in there. I mean, it's it's a long book, and it kind of it needed even maybe more editing <laughs> than it had. You can see behind me the uh, uh, the uh, British version that Yves Lemois edited. That's a slimmer volume, um, and um, I've I've not read *Elected Silence* uh, beginning to end. Um, Paul Pearson tells me he has not read Seven Storey Mountain* beginning to end because he wrote, read *Elected Silence* and. Um, You know, so, so yeah, I would love to uh, see some of those parts. There, there was um, a piece that, uh, of Seven Story Mountain that was on the verso of another manuscript that we found in the collection that, that, um, seemed to clearly come out of Seven Story Mountain, was cut off, and, and Merton was using a scrap paper, but it doesn't exist in any other kind of (laughs) manuscripts anywhere, anywhere else. Um, uh, and and even the parts from the, the the two manuscripts that we know about that have been cut out um, are are interesting. And uh, there was some graduate work done years ago by Andrea Newhoff. Um, her um, undergraduate and master's um, uh, work theses are uh, in, in the Thomas Merton Center, and um, they've they've been very useful to me in trying to kind of piece together. Some of the editing process, but it's it's only partial. Um, what we have, we don't have the full story of of what was cut out of, of Seven Story Mountain. Um, the other um, place that people look to for um, audio, autobiographical material that 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 um, may either may have been in Seven Story Mountain and got cut out, or just not included, was um, Merton's early novel um, uh, attempts at novels. The characters, the protagonists of which um, seem to be thinly veiled um, autobiographical references uh, throughout. Um, so, you know, he there's there's this kind of uh, well-known um, uh, part of of one of them where Merton participates in this, uh, in, in, or the character. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm making the connection. The character in the story participates in a, in a mock crucifixion. And um, Merton relates on his um, uh, passport or some kind of entry documents into the United States that that he has a scar on the palm of one of his hands. So, uh, you know, was was that something that he felt really guilty about, and didn't feel it would be too scandalous to um, to uh, to say um, something that that, that happened uh, in in his days at Cambridge? Yeah. Um, cool, it's interesting to uh, con- conjecture whether that that happened or not. Yeah. Do you want to say any more
3: about all those their background there, which is pretty graphic? We can see all the the books. Is there more to be shared by that? And
2: um, you know, I have a I have a link at the top of the chat um, where you can find the covers of um, all the various um, translations that we um, have copies of um, in at the center. And I tried to to capture um, various. Um, uh, U.S. and 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 foreign uh, editions of of the book, you can see the cover, um, the uh, some some of the the uh, the uh, some of the first pages of, of the books um, as well um, on the exhibit site. So you can you can browse it somewhat like a, cool. a bookshelf. Cool. Thank
3: you for that. Our own Paul Pinkowski uh, has this to share with you, Mark. Um, Seven Story Mountain inspired vocations. Later books seem to provoke contemplative reflection and then reflection on social issues. Do you see any sort of connecting thread?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure whether the the change was... Um... The change in the writings, or the change in those who were um, becoming attracted to um, religious life, um, I think it's. I think that's somewhat kind, of, somewhat hard to, to suss out. Um, you know, a, a couple of the most recent novices that came to Gethsemane um, did. Reference that, uh, did reference Thomas Merton. I'm not sure if it was Seven Story Mountain or, or other works of his, but reference uh, Merton uh, as being um, influential in, in, in their decision to become monks. But I think it's much less of a phenomenon now, um, Merton generating uh, uh, religious uh, vocations to the religious life, to the bad religious life. But um, certainly. The, the interest in in uh, lay contemplative life um, has continued, but also, uh, as you're saying, um, prompted people to uh, social action, but also the Mertonian style of being very contemplative about uh, having a temp- contemplative critique of um, activism and social action as well. Um, you know, you you see that so well documented in Gordon Oyer's book that I referenced, the pursuing the spiritual roots of, of protest, um, he really uh, documents that well. How how um, you know Merton's role was not to be in in the streets um, to 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 be on the front lines of protest, but um, he he did pro- provide um, some 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 good challenge and and uh, asked peacemakers protestant and catholic to consider you know what are their you know by by what right do they protest
3: yeah good as i was listening to you i think you see more continuity between seven story mountain and the later merton than i probably do can you say more about the continuity
2: that you see yeah i mean i i i, I still see merton as having this attitude, um, of, uh, cultural criticism, um, of, of especially American, um, culture. And, uh, you, you see him connect with writers like, um, Henry Miller, you know, he's writing air conditioned nightmare, that sort of thing. Um, so it, the, the, uh, the, 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 that, that, that level of criticism continues. It's just how he's re- responding and, and reacting and relating back to the world, um, forging a connection uh, back to it. But it's not as if he's he thought things were um, a lot duckier, <laughs> as, 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 as he, uh, an adjective he used to describe um, the, uh, the Teyardian view of the world, that the world is all ducky. Um, and you know he's he's seeing he, he's he's getting more sensitive to uh, different sorts of problems as as he's starting to understand um, what's happening with the nuclear arms race um, as he has more of a, a a critical appreciation of the evils of racism, um, indigenous rights um, after reading Rachel Carson. Uh, environmental justice. Uh, so he's, he's actually picking up more grievances as he's going along in the years. Um, but, uh, at the same time, uh, it's, it's, it's not a, hey, let's get angry and angrier and shout louder. Um, yeah. as, as he says, uh, in faith and violence, um, it, it it shouldn't be a warring of symbols. It shouldn't. We need to uh, get back to a route of communication, person to person, on on these issues. And when we, you know, turn the the, the various sides and, and make the, the the issue the face of it, um, we're we're going to miss um, connecting with with the person who disagrees with us.
3: Yeah. And the last question I'll have, and then after you answer that, Teresa can pick it up. I'm interested in the book's been around for 75 years now, and you haven't been around quite that long, but has seven story mountain changed for you as you've lived now 20 years at the center and then maybe a few years before that, when you read it. So has the book itself changed for you over the years as you perhaps changed? you certainly have grown and matured.
2: I, uh, I felt closer to the, the youthful, um, you know struggles that Merton had of of, of 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 uh trying to make sense of the world, make sense of faith and that sort of thing when I first read it um and uh, but now yeah, it's all the, the rereading a lot of things jump out um I think for two reasons one because I've I've changed and you know I can see things from um, more of, the the adult perspective when he's a, a, a you know a young adult and he's he's acting out and and adults in his life are trying to correct him you know having you know a, a child myself you know it 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 gives you a different perspective on that sort of thing. Um uh so so yeah that that's that's one uh way that that has changed. But the, the other way is just that um I've I've spent enough time at the center um mainly helping other people with with their research projects. I'm learning about all these different aspects of, of Merton that um, I didn't understand when I first read Seven Story Mountain. So I have so much more um, knowledge and context of all the different things that he's writing about and then also where this is going to go, where it's going to lead. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to identify, for example, what, you, what you'd mentioned, Alan, about there being this connective um perspective what what was the same and what was different um in, in his later writings when when I first encountered Seven Story Mountain. So that's that's definitely changed in 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 my rereading of it. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alan.
0: All right. Well um Mark, thank you so very much. What um wonderful topic to begin our fourth season with. And I've been sitting here thinking, if you hadn't thought of it, we would have probably have had to commission a talk about the 75th uh, anniversary of the publication of the Seven Story Mountain. So thank you so much for all that you brought to that for us. I also want to thank Dr. Julia Feder, who was named earlier. Julia is assistant director of the Center for the Study of Spirituality at St. Mary's and she's been providing the technical support for this evening's Tuesday with Merton in the absence of Dan Horan who had a conflict tonight. Alan, uh, thank you for again so skillfully moderating the questions. Um, in the future, uh, if, you, if you'd like to um, tell your friends about this presentation or some others on Tuesday with Merton. We have Bob Grip to thank for posting the webinars on YouTube and Mark Mead himself, making them available for us as podcasts. You can find links to the recordings of previous webinars at merton.org slash ITMS. Registration is now open for next month's webinar when filmmaker Cassidy Hall will speak to us on Queering Thomas Merton. I also want to mention a very special event that you won't want to miss, the very first annual fourth and walnut lecture featuring Ilya Delio, who will be speaking on Merton's Christophany and the second Axial Monk. The event will take place on Tuesday, November 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern time on the campus of St. Mary's College and it will also be live streamed. For more information, You can go to the website of either one of our co-sponsors, the Center for the Study of Spirituality at St. Mary's College, or the International Thomas Merton Society. Thank you for joining us today and for continuing to spread the good word about Tuesdays with Merton. So for now, goodbye, stay safe, and we look forward to seeing you next month.